Welcome to Rusk Insights on Rehabilitation Medicine, a top podcast featuring interviews with thought leaders in the field of PMNR from Rusk Rehabilitation at NYU Langone Medical Center and other prominent rehab medicine institutions. Your host for these interviews is Dr. Tom Elwood. He will take you behind the scenes to look at what is transpiring in the exciting world of rehabilitation research and clinical services through the eyes of those involved in making dynamic breakthroughs in healthcare. So listen, learn, and enjoy. Hello, and welcome to another episode in the Rust Rehabilitation Podcast Series. Today's interview is one of many that will make it possible to learn about developments in the field of rehabilitation aimed at improving the lives of patients. I am honored to have as today's guest, Dr. Markley Alexander, who specializes in the treatment of patients with spinal cord injury. In 2019, she and her husband, Craig, took a break from full-time practice to educate people about climate change and disability by starting a walk from Canada to Key West to bring attention to issues of persons with disabilities and climate change by educating both professionals and communities. So, Dr. Alexander, thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me on, Dr. Elwood. I'm happy to talk to you about this important issue. Oh, you're most welcome. Along with being the first female president of the American Spinal Injury Association, Dr. Alexander has published more than 125 articles and chapters in professional journals and is currently the editor of the journal Spinal Cord Series and Cases. Throughout most of her career, her research has focused on sexuality and spinal cord injury, and she's known for performing significant laboratory-based research outlining the impact of specific neurologic injuries on sexual responses. Over the past 15 years, she also has had an interest in telemedicine, and she currently has a sexuality telehealth clinic at Spalding Rehabilitation Hospital. At present, she also is working on a summit in 2021 to bring together leaders from the climate change and disabilities fields. In conjunction with this work, she started a nonprofit called Telerehabilitation International with a mission to bring attention to climate change and disability and to use telemedicine to start a volunteer network of physiatrists to provide consults for persons with disabilities in areas of disaster relief. A graduate of Jefferson Medical College, she completed her residency in physical medicine and rehabilitation there. So let's begin by having you tell our listeners what inspired you to develop an interest in how climate change influences individual and community health status. Well, I have been interested in climate change for a good 15, 20 years. And being a doc and being a mom, I have not been able to really pay the attention to climate change that I realized was so important. And so as my children grew up, I got to the point where like, okay, it's time to do what you want to do, work on climate change. And it just kind of crystallized to me how I could serve um, best because as people have learned more about climate change and it's become more internationally recognized, there's a dearth of information and a dearth of attention paid to the issues of people with disabilities. And um, people with disabilities make up a huge percentage of the world. Figures go as high as one out of every four people has a disability. And since people with disabilities are more impacted by climate change, I realized that this was my mission. This is where I need to be trying to put the two pieces together. 
Now, here in the United States, in the rehabilitation community that you're most familiar with, what degree of recognition is accorded to the importance of climate change relative to other kinds of things that are deemed important? Unfortunately, in the United States, there's very little attention paid to this problem. People with professionals in the field of rehabilitation don't really make the leap, I think, from disability to climate change. We haven't really had climate change be on the agenda of any of our meetings. And in fact, I've worked um, with people high up in the rehab field to get climate change on the agenda in rehab meetings. And it's only been in the past year that we've had any success. And in fact, that's why I started my mission. Um, One day I was speaking at a healthcare conference in Massachusetts. And instead of taking the bus, I wanted to walk. And so I went to walk. And it was so hard to walk, even though it was a mile, I felt like I was going to get killed because the roads were so unsafe. And I'm like, well, how can I put everything together? And I realized that, well, maybe I should walk. I decided I was going to walk from Canada to Key West. And the reason I decided this was because after trying to get presentations at different meetings and being unsuccessful multiple times, I realized, well, how can I get people to actually listen to me? And the reality is that it's hard to have your colleagues turn you down if you say you're going to walk 100 miles and show up at their hospital and give a lecture. So I decided that this walk would serve multiple purposes, that it would allow me to educate people in the rehab field, but also to assess the condition of roadways, um, you know, what is the accessibility of roadways, what isn't, and then also to work to get people in communities together with professionals to talk about the issues of climate change and disability. So um, sadly, we need to do more in the fields of rehabilitation. We're not um, talking to people when they're inpatients in, in care about disasters, which are more frequent. Um, We're not talking to them so much about the day-to-day issues, and I think we need to really increase the awareness of professionals in the field of rehab and people with disabilities so they really start speaking about their needs in light of climate change. As of today, how many institutions have you stopped at and made presentations since you began this journey? I've given presentations at 10 institutions so far. And um, we're doing a couple, I'm doing a couple more presentations this next year at national meetings. And, you know, I'm just going to keep pushing forward and, and knocking on doors. Oh, it sounds very ambitious. And you're quite a pioneer in this whole area, that's for sure. I guess it's what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> Hopefully there will be many other people, though, that join the mission. I think it's important. I have, um, actually, I was out in Texas and reached out to um, a woman named Peg Nosek, who's been in rehab for a long time, and, and she's actually joined me now, and um, I've gotten to get together with a woman, Cabell Eames, who works for 350.org up in Massachusetts, and we're working on a summit to bring together people in disability areas and in climate change. And so hopefully if we get this summit up in 2021 in April is what we're looking at, hopefully that would do a lot to raise awareness. I'd also like to see it that organizations such as CARF put in their criteria that disaster planning needs to be in regular inpatient rehab educational lectures.
it sounds like there are a lot of delayed vocations out there, and what you're doing is helping to convert them to a more active status regarding this issue. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, when you get to a certain point in life, you realize that there's a role you need to play, and we've all got to push forward. You know, things may be tough from time to time, but we've all got to listen to the scientists and the science and realize that the future will be different than it is now. What's going on now in terms of weather variability or in, um, you know, heavy snowstorms that come up out of nowhere or extreme heat issues, this is going to be more common. And for our people that we work with that have disabilities, we need to help them be aware of how their new situation will be impacted by climate change. Individuals with disabilities would appear to be a group that disproportionately could be affected in negative ways by extreme weather disasters and climate change. To cite one example, please describe how individuals with spinal cord injury might be at a heightened risk to experience adverse health impacts. So people with spinal cord injuries have a number of issues that impact their ability to deal with the weather. Number one, they have mobility impairments, which makes it harder for them to get around and they could potentially fall out of a wheelchair. And if they're in a cold environment, this could be a problem. Number two, they have poor temperature control. So they're more susceptible to extreme heat. They're more susceptible to extreme cold. So when we think about people with spinal cord injuries and you put those two issues together on the immediate level, On the day-to-day level, they can, in fact, be almost jailed inside because if it's 100 degrees outside, you can't really go outside if you can have problems with temperature control. And the same thing if it's 40 degrees outside. So they've got to be more aware on a day-to-day basis, and they are going to be jailed at home in times. The other issue becomes in terms of disasters. If there's a disaster They are more vulnerable because they will have problems with getting into shelters. A lot of times shelters will not allow people in with wheelchairs or people may need attendance and can't get into a shelter. Or if it's something like, say it was a tsunami and they're in a wheelchair and they happen to be on the ground, it's not like they're going to easily be able to move up as someone that is able-bodied is. So there's both day-to-day issues And then there's the issues associated with disasters. And then we also have to think more about the long-term issues. And as when the long-term issues go on, we're going to get into a situation where we need adaptability. And people with disabilities are very resilient in a lot of ways and very good with determining adaptability issues. But we're going to need to, in my opinion, to nurture this so that we start sharing best practices for adaptability so that as sea levels rise, there's so many people that are in vulnerable areas with sea level, we need to be able to work with these people so they can plan properly how they might relocate, evacuate, adapt their situations where they particularly live, i.e. moving higher up, etc. And it requires forethought. So people with spinal cord injuries are number one on the list of people with disabilities, I think, in bearing the brunt of climate change. And then number two, a close second is people with MS. People with MS have such issues in terms of the heat. So they're another very vulnerable population. 
in the United States for both of those groups, the MS and the spinal cord injury, do you have a sense of the prevalence as to how many individuals right now are affected apart from any new cases that might emerge? Um, you're talking about a million people between the two groups, um, maybe even more than that, but there's about 500,000 people with spinal cord injury or disorders in the U.S., and I'm sure that the number of people with MS is even a little higher, but I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, well, the numbers are substantial, that's for sure. Yes. Mental health problems do not always receive as much attention from policymakers as they should. Mental health effects of climate change would appear to be associated with the onset of conditions, perhaps mood disorders that would exacerbate their physical health problems. So please comment on the degree to which mental health impacts also should be taken into account when you're discussing climate change. Well, I think the issue of mental health and climate change is something that's impacting many more people than we realize. I think there's so many actually young people in the general population, people in their middle ages, that are really trying to deal with this issue and trying to figure out how it impacts your future. I think with climate change, this is something we, we all have to go through. I remember about 25 years ago hearing about it. And basically, my immediate response was denial. I saw this in a newspaper article and I said, oh, that's terrible. You know, and I just put it away for five years until I saw it again and said, oh, this really must be real. And so, you know, I think you have to get through, you know, you get through the shock, you go through denial, depression. When you say to yourself, oh, I'm not going to have that big car anymore, you have to accept that and start a slowly changing your lifestyle. So mental health, I think, is an issue for everyone, not just people with disabilities. With people with a mental health disabilities, there is an issue because many of the medications that people take for their mental health concerns, some of the neuroleptics and different psychiatric medications actually can impair people's temperature control. So that can be another physical problem people have related to mental illness. But then if you take the issue of having a disability and having climate change on top of it, it's like, you know, adding straw to the camel's back. We have people with disabilities have a day-to-day -day life issue they have to deal with. A good friend of mine said, you know, sometimes people will just have to struggle to make it through the day. And so in some ways, I think if you have a disability, dealing with the disability is enough, let alone adding climate change on top. So it's an additive effect. We all have to figure out our own way to adapt to the reality of climate change. And um, I guess, sadly, I do think that, you know, we've got 50% of our country still in denial about the issue, and maybe it'll just stay that way. But we haven't... In addition to not paying attention to disability, we haven't really paid enough attention to the mental health aspects because it is important. And I think we've all got to learn our own way to adapt to that. Maybe in my way, it's I'm going to do positive things to be a positive force. Um, and I think if we all do that, we'll, we'll definitely make positive changes. Within the general population, please indicate how various subgroups, such as individuals who are characterized by not having much income or very low income, they could be geographically isolated. They might live in very poor housing conditions and also could differ on the basis of demographic characteristics such as age and gender, their level of frailty, and even the presence of some chronic diseases. And how might any of these particular groups might be affected in different ways by climate change? 
Well, the key that we're talking about here is environmental justice. And environmental justice is a relatively new term, but the reality is that groups that are poor, groups that are of color, groups that are um, homeless, people that women, um, people from actually internationally small island states or countries where people are still living in a third world type of environment are much more vulnerable to the impacts of climate change. Um, they are bearing these brunts now. People are having to relocate from some small island states. And what is happening, I guess, in some ways is that, you know, the people that are still using their air conditioning, still running full, full force on using fossil fuels, using plastics, et cetera, they're still making money off it when people that are poor and people that are vulnerable are less using these resources. Um, if you go to cities and you look at where the floodplains are, where the areas are that will be underwater in the future, those are the areas where poor people live. So this is a issue of justice, human rights, an issue of equality. And in fact, um, in 2019, in July, to me, in some ways, it's surprising that it took so long for this to happen. But the United Nations, um, their human rights group, just determined climate change and disability is a human rights issue. Dr. Alexander, I'm going to conclude part one of this interview by thanking you for sharing your insights with our listeners about several important topics pertaining to the effects of climate change on health status. A second part of this interview will be made available on a separate occasion, and our listeners are invited to access it also. Thank you again for joining us. You can learn more about Rust at nyulangone.org slash Rust. Also, be sure to follow this podcast on Twitter at Rust Podcast.